0: Good morning. Our scripture readings today both come to us from the Revised Common Lectionary, which the pastors here have been preaching from for a few years. And one of the great benefits of the and difficulties of the Revised Common Lectionary is that it takes us into places in the Bible we might avoid uh, if it was up to us. So with that... Um, Uh, With those words, I will turn to our first scripture reading, which comes to us from the prophet Isaiah. It's in the 63rd chapter, verses 7 to 9. Now hear the word of the Lord. I will recount the gracious deeds of the Lord, the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, because of all that the Lord has done for us, and the great favor to the house of Israel that he has shown them according to his mercy, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he said, Surely they are my people, children who will not deal falsely. And he became their savior in all their distress. It was no messenger or angel, but his presence that saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. And the second scripture passage comes to us from the gospel according to Matthew, in the second chapter, beginning at the 13th verse. Now after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah. Wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children, she refused to be consoled because they are no more. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who were seeking the child's life are dead. And then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth, so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Gracious God, may the word just read point to the word to come, and may it all work together to point to your Son, our Lord, the word made flesh, Jesus Christ. Amen. So I recently saw Irving Berlin's White Christmas for the first time. I know, it's shocking, but I did it this year, and I'm so glad I did. What a wonderful film. And it opens on this sort of sweet little community theater Christmas variety act, if you haven't seen it. And it's kind of homemade, it's like a little bit like a children's Christmas pageant. But then Bing Crosby steps forward and he sings White Christmas with a voice so pure and clear. And he sings about this idyllic Christmas with treetops glistening and children listening for sleigh bells in the snow. And it just seems like the perfect setting, the perfect Christmas. But then the camera pulls back. And as it does, we see that this Christmas Eve is in 1944, and this little play is taking place in the middle of a war zone with bombs dropping and destruction all around. This is not unlike the perfect scene, the silent night we celebrated by candlelight just a week ago, the night that we remember that God so loved the world that God became incarnate and was made man took place in a violent and broken world. Theologians refer to this passage of scripture from today as the massacre of the innocents, and it's one we'd really like to skip over, especially when we're pretty new to preaching, Um, especially at Christmas, right? It's a difficult passage. In it, we read that Joseph is warned in a dream to flee to Egypt so he takes his family and the holy family goes there until he's told it's safe to return. And somewhere in the middle of it, Herod, who is furious and afraid, kills all of the children under two in Bethlehem. What horror. The parents of these children, these innocents who remained in Bethlehem had no context of what was coming No warning in the middle of the night, and their grief is heard in heaven. Like Rachel, they will not be consoled. And when we read this passage across millenniums, our hearts hurt for their loss, for in a real sense, there are children too. Author Glennon Doyle has frequently said, there is no such thing as other people's children. And reading this passage, it feels true we hear their cries, and we want to lend our own and demand of God, how long will children suffer at the hands of adults? Part of the reason we're able to empathize is that here we are some 2,000 years later, and the world still contains darkness. It is still a world in which children suffer. A long time ago, I made a TV show called The Hero Effect, and it told the story of unlikely, common, ordinary people doing extraordinary things in their communities. One man worked with juvenile offenders, another woman worked in the foster care system. And the episode that stayed with me the most was actually filmed here in Sarasota, and it was about human trafficking. Human trafficking is the second largest criminal industry worldwide, and it affects the most vulnerable in our societies with more than 25 million people enslaved. And it happens here in arguably one of the most beautiful places in the world. One young woman who I'll call Estera, who I met during the filming, had at 16 fallen in with a bad group of kids, or my mom would probably say kids making bad choices, And they were doing drugs one night, and Estera she found herself locked in a room. I will not recount what followed, but I will say that I've never before seen the evidence of human sin and evil more undeniably. And I met her parents as part of that experience, and their devastation was deep and consuming. They had, in the end, been unable to protect her. The dangerous world had come for their girl. I imagine their cries were not unlike those of the parents grieving in Bethlehem. Matthew's gospel makes it clear that not all is clear and bright. It would seem ours is a world that cannot make its own way out of its mess. And it's into this messy, broken world, a world in which innocent children die and mothers cry out, that Jesus was born. And ours was and is a world that desperately needs Jesus. And he comes to us, of all things, as a baby. How notable it is that God chose to enter the world as an infant, totally dependent on the care of others, vulnerable to the violent and unpredictable forces of the world. For Mary and Joseph fleeing into the night, how scary the world must have been, the world which seemed bent on doing their child harm. When my husband and I went to leave the hospital with my son, Sawyer, just days after his birth, I remember feeling stunned that they were going to allow us, with no training at all, (laughs) to leave and take this precious child out into the world. And the car ride home was one of the longest of my life. The world felt dangerous. We felt such love for him, and we felt so aware of his fragility. I can only imagine this is the case for most parents, especially with their first child and for, for parents of fur babies and loving and dedicated aunts and uncles and older cousins. We've all experienced how babies are just so vulnerable and dependent on our care. So imagine Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus are fast asleep, but then in the dead of the night, Joseph is shaken awake by a bad dream a terrible dream that someone wants to harm his infant son. So he shakes Mary awake, and she's confused and disoriented, but as the words he whispers become clear, her adrenaline spikes, Herod searching for the child to destroy him. And so she rushes alongside her husband to pack what they can to gather the baby who cries out, As Mary tries to comfort and quiet the child, they pack up their donkey and they leave into the silent and terrifying night, wondering, have we left on time? Have we kept him safe? How can we protect him in this dangerous world? Any parent understands the visceral, consuming desire to protect your child from a world which we cannot ever wholly protect them. Anyone who loves another person knows that love comes with an inherent risk of devastating loss. And for Mary and Joseph, there was good reason to be afraid of Herod. Herod the Great was appointed by the Romans, and he really had to fight for control of his kingdom. And while historians find no other record of the massacre of the innocents in Bethlehem, it's just the kind of thing Herod would do. He killed his own wife and one of his sons. On the verge of his own death, he ordered the killing of all political prisoners so that there would be mourning throughout the land. He was a corrupt man, and he was capable of terrible violence. So the Holy Family flees to a foreign land, and they take the baby away from family and presumably their livelihood and into the unknown. And here's the headline for us today, I think. The Christ Child Survives. On a cold and dark night, in a dangerous world where children die and mothers cry out, God's love remains. The Gospel of Matthew is particularly concerned with what these events surrounding Christ's birth mean. On one level, our scripture passage seems to be about Joseph and his faithfulness, but really, at its heart, I think, the author of Matthew is trying to tell us something about who Jesus is. Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus is the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. In the context of this difficult passage of the Bible, Matthew is saying, what it means that the Christ child survives Herod's evil plan is that in the face of unspeakable evil, God's love remains. Something started in Bethlehem that not even the biggest, strongest, darkest forces can stop. Nothing can stop what started in Bethlehem. Some 30 years later, there's a new Herod in power, and Herod nails Jesus to the cross, but even death cannot hold him. Our Lord Jesus is resurrected, delivered from death itself. No earthly power can stop what God is doing. And this is where we place our hope. This is where we find our comfort. God's love remains. And we know this to be true because we've seen it. We've seen evidence of God's love in the world. And one place we see that love is people who insist that there is no such thing as other people's children. Janice Korczak knew this to be true. Korczak, the Polish-Jewish champion of children's life, saw from a very early age the difference, the staggering difference, between the lives of privileged children and those who came from disadvantaged backgrounds. And he wanted to make a better world for children. He became a doctor and a writer and an educator, and eventually he opened his own orphanage in Warsaw in 1912 at the age of 92. He was so dedicated to his children that when the Nazis sent them to their deaths, he chose to go with them, teaching us that God's love remains, even when it's surrounded by hatred. And remember Estera, the human trafficking survivor well, her story doesn't end in that locked room. Estera was taken into the care of the nonprofit organization More to Life, which was started by a human trafficking survivor named Brooke Bellow here in Sarasota, and Brooke was helping Estera piece her life back together again. When we were filming the episode, we took the girls to Triumph, which is a rope course here in town, and there's a section of the course that would have you sort of hold onto a rope and jump into the air. You're some 50 feet off the ground, and there's this wide gap, and you're supposed to jump and swing into the net. When Estera reached that section of the course, she stopped. She's afraid of heights, distrustful of people, afraid of the world, and with good reason. She would not move. She was frozen in place. And I don't remember how long we stood there encouraging her, waiting, waiting, In some cases telling her, it's okay, don't jump, come on down, it's okay to quit. And then Brooke shushed us all, and she spoke quietly and reassuringly to Estera. She whispered words of courage and worth and dignity into a frightened child. She spoke to Estera about her belovedness and the remaining sustaining love of God. And we waited, and we waited, and she jumped in spite of the brokenness and pain that exists in the world, God's love remains. In this case, that remaining love was found in the encouraging presence of someone who had suffered as she had, someone who did not turn away from Esther's fear and her pain. Eventually, Estera graduated from high school, and the last time I spoke with her, she was attending community college, and she was engaged to be married. God's love remains. And often, God's love remains in and through us. As the passage from Isaiah describes, it was no messenger or angel, but God's presence that saved them. And God's presence is often made most plain in the love and the care of one another. So this is New Year's Day, and we're making resolutions. And I think we think a lot about the kind of people we want to be in the year to come, And I wonder how our identities might be tied to the well-being of children. As we wait in the hope offered to us at Christmas for the world that is to come, how might we care for children who are hungry or lonely or afraid? How might we tenderly introduce the love of Jesus to a child who otherwise might not know it? How might Joseph's dream become our own, one that guides us in safekeeping the most vulnerable? How might we as a community of faith come to insist that there is no such thing as other people's children? What might this look like? An hour a week tutoring to a child so they don't lose hope. An hour a week reading to a child at Wilkinson so they can come to believe that there's someone they can count on being there for them week after week. An hour a week helping to make sure children will go home to empty cupboards an hour a week teaching children and students about the God who so loves them that he gave his only son. My son, that baby, we had no business leaving the hospital with. Well, he's 16 now, and he's starting to drive on his own. And I would be lying if I didn't say that I still worry about him, that the world didn't still seem dangerous. He drives away, and all I can do is pray. I hope you'll pray for him with me when we pray for him, for all our kids here at Church of the Palms, for all of our kids in Sarasota, for all of our kids in this world. We can pray for their safety, but perhaps we should pray for more than safety, of which none of us is guaranteed. Might we pray that they would know the hope offered to us in Jesus, that they would know that that hope is always with them, always and everywhere, no matter what. God's hope remains. And might we pray that they would experience that hope through the love of others, and they would extend that love in a world that so desperately needs it. For the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. God's love remains. Let us pray. God of hope, through long ages, you have given your people dreams and visions of a time when there will be no more war, no more pain or sorrow, no more death. We pray this day for that time to be fulfilled and that you might use us and all that we have, that we might be instruments of that peace. Fill us with hope as we wait upon your coming realm. Give us the strength and the courage to fight for justice and peace and the courage to follow you into every dark place. As the new year dawns, we know that all our times are in your hand. Amen.